Winston Churchill, the great leader and statesman and speaker that he was, was invited to speak at a school that he'd gone to whenever he was young. Everyone was anticipating this great orator to come up and give them a speech that would be something that would be encouraging and powerful. Well, it was. It was. He came up to the podium and he delivered this simple injunction. Never give up. He just said it. <laughs> you probably won't ever see me do that. <laughs> Everybody was geared up to listen to this great orator and great leader of Great Britain. He says, never give up. Gets himself seated. That's it. It was all over. It was done. Matter of fact, in that speech, you got an introduction, the body of the speech, and the conclusion in three simple words. Never give up. You know how impacting that must have been? Everybody there could quote verbatim what that speech was about. A lot of times I put words together, you know, trying to spin those words into something that people can, you know, get a grasp on, you know, spend a lot of time on it. Very rarely are people going to remember quotes or just something, you know, like uh, little things that I think that are important. They'll get the gist of it, but probably are not going to be able to go... Like Wednesday, oh yeah, let's see, about ten minutes down through that message, there was this said in a sentence that would be just quoted perfectly. That doesn't happen, does it? But I'll tell you what, I think that speech got the attention of the people and would not ever be forgotten. Here we are talking about it today. So, our text today could be summed up Three words. Never give up. <laughs> we are never to give up despite the times that we live in, the things we go through. We need encouragement, don't we? We need it. We need it to keep going. We, we have to keep going ourselves. We have to persevere and not lose heart. It would be easy to lose heart sometimes, but we have to have that. You know, life can be hard. There was that song called Life is Hard, God is Good. That sums it up, doesn't it? Um, prayer it's that wonderful privilege that all Christians have to be able to go to God and be able to speak to Him, to pour out everything. And He loves that when we do that. 
We desire to do that. Sometimes we don't, but most often it's like breathing. We have to take a breath. We have to breathe to be able to function. Well, that's the way it is with prayer. The difficulty about prayer, though, is that we pray so many prayers that don't seem to ever get answered. Possible? Have you guys ever thought of that sometimes? We pray, but it seems like it doesn't get answered. I'm trying it in God's will. In Jesus' name, in the authority of Christ. And I want God's will in it. And it's biblical as can be. You've been praying for your relative. Son or daughter. Mother or father. Brother or sister. Somebody that's close to you. Now it's gone on years. Decades. Nothing has changed in their life. And you still pray. Don't give up. Never, never, never give up. You say it's in God's will. Why doesn't He answer? You know, why says that if we do it in God's will, He'll give us what we ask. In Jesus' name. But is that really the case? One of the most difficult aspects of prayer is persevering in it. It seems that God is not answering much of my prayers. Jesus instructed us in the Sermon on the Mount how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, here it is right here, hallowed be by thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have you ever prayed that? Quite frequently. Lord, hasten the day that you would come back. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Do you guys believe that? Certainly. If you're a Christian, absolutely. Come back now. Well, the church has been praying that prayer for 2,000 years. You know what? It hasn't happened yet. Have you noticed? Now, we have a spiritual kingdom. We've talked about that. But the physical kingdom, it's not here yet. We keep praying for it, but it's not here. Why isn't it here? Lord, You said You'd give us what we ask. On a personal level, all of us have requests that we've brought before the Lord for years. We keep doing it. It's for His glory. It's for His will. It's by His grace. And you know what? doesn't seem to answer the phone. Matter of fact, I don't even know if he has an answering machine. I don't know. I keep praying. And I keep praying, it seems like I'm getting worn out. Is he getting worn out on this? You know what? I bet everyone here would say, yeah, that happens a lot. Sometimes I wonder, why I'm not getting answered. It's easy to lose hope. The Lord knows the weakness of our flesh. And He knows that we are prone to lose heart. If we're not for His strength in us, did you know that we finally give up? 
we would lose heart. We would, if it weren't for Him. It's always by His grace, isn't it? But sometimes, do you feel that way? You guys feel it, don't you? Yeah, we do. What is happening here is that He gives His disciples and to us this parable that we have today. And it's in the context of the kingdom of God that is going to come back. Christ is going to come back. He's going to set up the kingdom, right? In that context, the days would come, says in chapter 17, verse 22, the disciples, He spoke to and He said, the days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. You will long for Him to come back. These were the ones that He spoke to right there. And you will not see it. He leaves them. He ascends to heaven. He hasn't come back yet. Well, they waited weeks. They waited months. Now the Holy Spirit came to them. Acts 2. Pentecost. Right there in Jerusalem, didn't it? He empowered them to live the Christian life. But Christ has not come back to the Mount of Olives and landed His feet there and set up the kingdom. But they waited. They thought it was going to come in their time period. It didn't happen. And he said there in verse 22 that, and you'll not see it. They really longed for him. They had been with him physically. They longed for him to be back there physically. Didn't happen. During the time between the ascension and that second coming, it's going to happen. It is. We promise, because the promise is here. The world would go on and on and on in its rebellion against God, just as in the days of who? Noah. And who else? Lot. Does this all sound familiar? That's what we've done in the last few weeks. We talked about that. That's a context. If you keep that in mind, it's the key that opens this parable wide open. So, church would be much like this widow that we're going to read about here in a moment. She was left without her husband. The church is is without our heavenly bridegroom. In a physical sense, we have Christ who lives in us. But physically, we wait for that. We've been much blind. The church has persecuted Many have been killed, are being killed. Today across the world, we are in a time of waiting. We are struggling as Christians, as the church. But God promised that the Messiah, His Son, would come back in power and in glory. We wait. When He comes back, He will judge the earth perfectly, all the people in it, and vindicate His people. That's us, the church. But in the interim, which is where we're at now, we wait for His promise to be fulfilled. We're waiting. If we don't want to lose heart, we must pray 
always. Let's go to our text and see if that kind of uh, gears us in to what this is about that Jesus tells here. Chapter 18, verse 1. Now, He was telling them a parable. Let's all stand. Get a chance to stretch out. Give honor to uh, God's Word. Now, He was telling them a parable to show that all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. Saying, in a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city and she kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling. But afterward he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for His elect who cry to Him day and night? And will He delay long over them? I tell you that He'll bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? Father, the parables that Jesus tells are incredible. On one hand, they're very simple. Very easy to understand. Even a child can listen to stories and get the real picture of it. But also, the depth of these stories that he tells are overwhelming. They're profound. And Lord, this is for the disciples and it's for us today. So many years later, We wait just like they waited. And we're not to give up. So instruct us today, Lord, through your word. Amen. Okay, the purpose of the parable. He was telling them a parable to show. To show what? That at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. Pretty simple and straightforward, isn't it? Matter of fact, you could stop right there and enough would be said. But I think there's more that can help us here as we peer through his parable. He said we should, uh, Paul said that we should pray without ceasing. That's found in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, right at the end of that chapter or that book, that letter, pray without ceasing. Uh, the word there is it's a really a military word. Paul uses that a lot. There's a lot of military terms that he uses constantly. There were a lot of wars going on, fighting at that time, and he saw guards around him constantly. 
a lot of times he was in prison and he saw guards around him. They were soldiers. Well, he used this word without ceasing because it is talking about repeated military assaults. An army comes up against its enemy and it attacks. Has to withdraw and regroup. Comes back and attacks again. Attacks again. Attacks maybe from another side, from the other flank. It keeps attacking and attacking until what happens? You beat the enemy. They don't give up. Attacking again and again and again and again. Persevering. That is what Paul is saying in our prayer life. You guys are warriors. You're warriors. You get beat down sometimes. You have to regroup. You ever have to regroup? You regroup and you come back and you go at it again. Prayer is found in so much of the Bible. Ephesians 6 talks about the the enemy that we fight against. It's not flesh and blood. Principalities, powers. The demonic realm. Powerful it is. The Lord does the fighting. We put on our armor. And it's always wrapped with prayer. Because that's where the power is at. Because we are to listen to our commander-in-chief about this. What he's got. Um... So there's the military term. It was also used about you know, without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Another term or, or way that you can think of it is a hacking cough. Every one of us had had hacking coughs, especially at the worst time where there are a lot of people around and you can't stop. You want to stop, but you can't. You just keep coughing and coughing. Do you finally have to leave the room? Hacking. So much. Repeatedly. Repeatedly. That's what we're talking about. Praying repeatedly all throughout the day. Right underneath your, your lips, you're, you're saying, Oh, Lord, be with me here on this test here that you're giving me. You know, it's constantly, think, you know, it's just being aware of Christ. It's called Christ consciousness. Conscious that He's with you at all times. And at other times, there are times when we go into lengthy kind of prayers. And those are good. We need that. There's a necessity in prayer. It's not optional. You have to have it, don't you? And all Christians do it. It means that we are in total dependence upon our God. Because we know that we are Zippo. We're less than zero. We're negative. Without Him, we are nothing, Jesus says in John 15. Total dependence. God, I need you here. I can't handle this. He has the great power and the might, the grace. We ought to pray. At all times, we ought to pray. Look in Luke chapter 11, verse 5 through 8. We were here one day. This is right after his teaching of the Lord's Prayer. And he says in verse 5, Luke 11, 
He said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to see me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, Do not bother me, it's late. The door has already been shut. My children and I were in bed. We're sleeping, right? I can't get up and give you anything. Sounds like the unjust judge, doesn't it? Sounds like the same kind of story. And it kind of is. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. (laughs) All right, all right, all right. Well, the story is, he didn't give up, did he? Now, we go at, we're looking at, at all times we ought to pray. The context, as I said earlier in the intro, was the second coming. It hasn't changed. The people he's talking to has not changed. The disciples would long to see him come back. Look at Luke 17, verse 22. And he said to the disciples, The days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And so he goes through the idea of Noah, right? And by the way, this whole thing is the future. This is eschatological. Eschatology. It's a study of the last days, of the future things. That's what he's been giving them all the way through the end of chapter 17. And just because we go into 18 doesn't mean that he's changing from his eschatology kind of preaching that he's given. He's still doing it when he gets into this prayer because he's saying, okay, now, let me give you a parable to illustrate this. Let me uh, uh, para bale, para alongside, bale to throw, to throw alongside this earthly uh, thinking, throw alongside a kingdom teaching here, principles. Let me give you an idea of what this is like. Um, during his absence, the disciples, the church is going to be mocked, they're going to be rejected. Just like Noah was rejected, and of course we think of the story of Lot, those kind of days, there will be persecution, there will be death. Now, with a limited, hum- uh, uh, I guess you could say a human perspective, uh, it often seems that God is not answering, as I said in the introduction, it doesn't seem that He's listening. Nothing seems to change. must be me. Eternal perspective. What's our perspective? Me. I need this. I. It's okay. But do you start? Do I start with an eternal perspective? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Oh, do we come marching in? Hey, Lord, hey, I need this, I need that. I'm tired of this, Lord. It's just not working out. You know, is that the way that we start our prayers? Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your Do we come fearing Him? That's the beginning of wisdom, isn't it? 
to fear God, to see Him in His holiness. But I haven't changed yet, and I don't know what's taken so long. Put your eyes on heaven. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Sounds like our Colossians 3. That's our Tuesday night Bible study right there. Along that line, he's telling them, these same people, first coming, and there will be a second coming. Don't lose heart. When you feel like you're losing heart, go to Him in prayer with an eternal perspective. We are living in this time period now between the ascension the second coming. He's saying, you need to view this second coming with prayer. Don't lose heart. And that's our key to unlocking this parable. Not to lose heart. That's our next phrase. There, they ought to pray not to lose heart. The word there is Eg kakao means to become weary. To lose heart means to become weary. Have you ever been there? Not you guys. To give in. Okay. I'm done. That's it. It's it's not happening. This is this is ridiculous right now. I don't need it. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse sixteen. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But, though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man, look at this, is being renewed. It is being renewed. Right now, it's being renewed. You know, as you peer into God's Word, you're being renewed. In Romans 12, it says to renew your mind daily. How do you do that? Right here. And he says, it's being renewed, day by day, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Where's the perspective at here? On eternal things. Far beyond all comparison. Our momentary light affliction, yeah, compared to eternity, it's simple. It's really nothing compared to eternity. Don't you like that verse? Next time you really get brought down by the enemy, what should you think? Think on this verse right here. It's a momentary light affliction. Look at verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, right here on earth, that's easy to do. But at the things which are not seen, eternal things, for the things which are seen are temporal. It's just a little time. Compare 80, 90 years to eternity. I mean, you start here and then you go on through the atmosphere and past all the stars and past all the galaxies. And your little lifetime here is so insignificant. In that sense, compared to eternity... But the things which are seen or not seen are eternal. We don't see always where God is heading our lives. That's what we have to do.
trust in. He says He's working in us. Our outer man is dying. It's decaying. But our inner man is being renewed in so many ways that you can't even imagine. And that's through some of the worst things that we have to go through. He uses those. Yeah. So, he's saying that he knows they're weak. He knows that they are prone to what? To give up. Quit praying. Quit everything. This church Christian thing is a bunch of nonsense because I don't see anything working. There's a number of reasons that we're prone. I'll just give you a couple. Sometimes we assume that we are competent to handle things on our own because we do it every day. We are really gifted at a lot of things and a lot of things we do very good. And I don't need the Lord on that one. You know what? We hop in the car sometimes, take a trip. We don't even realize that, you know what? The Lord is with me here. It's great, really, to pray before you take a little trip, go to work. Think about it. He's the one that got us there safely, without any troubles, without it. Maybe most of the time we get there without any car troubles. We all have that, but most of the time we get where we're going and we get back. And we do that every day after a while. It's easy to take for granted. Now, that's a mundane thing. You know, hop in your car, take a short trip to work, (coughs) work, come back. You don't even pray about your job because you don't really need to because you do it every day. You know what you do. Guess who gives you the ability to think to be able to do that job? To give you the qualifications, the gifts, the way that you think. God gave us that. Everything. All He wants is to acknowledge that we are totally dependent upon Him. So one of the reasons why we tend to, uh, I guess you can say, not pray is we just have tasks and they're just routine. I have this strong natural ability, right? But when we don't have that natural ability and we're asked to do something that's out of our ballpark, but we need to do it anyway. We say, Lord, I need help on this. i got a new job to do here. Lord, I really need you. I can't do anything without consciously depending upon God. You know, when it comes to preaching, honestly, it's probably good that I feel incompetent and delivering a message up here every week and doing a Tuesday night Bible study because it's not natural to me. It's uh, just one of those kind of things that I'm not naturally a people person. Some of you might would probably disagree with that, but I will tell you, uh, I was never a people person ever in my life. Uh Honestly, whenever I did stuff alone when there were people around, it was about me. But I have to trust in Him all week for this message that we do. 
to me this is the most important time of our week when we get together for a couple hours. It's not very much, is it? Do a message for an hour. But it doesn't come automatically. I do have to study it. I do have to read it. I really enjoy that. I can't think of anything better to do. But I will tell you that I have to, if I'm not dependent upon the Lord and getting this message together, I'm not going to be ready. I come up up here and I might have to say three words and then sit down. Because that's it. That's all I got. I have to trust in Him for the message. Or otherwise, you're going to get a, a, a bunch of gobbledygook. You need the word from the Lord. You don't need my words. There's another reason. I think it's a main reason why people lose heart in prayer. It's because he delays his answer. You know, we've always heard God always answers it's no or yes or wait. And a lot of truth to that. I'm trying to differ in that. The thing is, most of the things that we pray for, do you know that He answers? A lot of times we don't even pray for it. Do we pray? For, you know, do we thank God whenever we have meals at the table? I would tend to think that all of you do that. If you go to a restaurant, you even do that. Wherever it is, because you realize that God is the one who gave us the food, how it got there, you know, all the different ways. Air that we breathe, clothes, you know, shelter, home, uh, car, transport. You go on and on and on. We pretty well take that for granted, actually. We forget about it, and then comes time for Thanksgiving, and we start thinking of those things. But there's so many. It goes on and on. How many answers to prayer does he have, even when we don't pray? The answers are coming in because the Holy Spirit is interceding for us. Our Advocate Jesus Christ is interceding for us. We don't even know what to pray sometimes. There it goes, straight to the Father. Constantly. A lot of things we have no idea. Matter of fact, most of the things that He's given us, we don't even recognize. We don't even know. There are a few things that we do make and we haven't got the answer yet. I will tell you, I do get frustrated sometimes because... There were things I prayed for that I knew were biblical. I knew they were right. It was not about self. It was all about God's truth. It it came from Scripture and I still am waiting for the answer. Of course, the biggest one is you want certain people to be saved. Don't you? If you're a Christian, that's natural. They haven't become saved yet. You don't know what the outcome is going to be. You're still wondering, Lord, are you going to answer this? Well, keep praying. Because that's God's will to do that. Pray for the leaders in our government, right? A lot of things in there where He says to pray for. So we pray that. But He delays. So we'll get to that. That's what the parable is leading to. 2 through 5 now is the parable. We saw the purpose of the parable. Did, did you guys catch what the purpose was? You got that, right? And he told him what it was just as he before he even t- said the parable. Show that all times they ought to pray. Don't lose heart. Okay, got the purpose. Now here's the parable. 
We start with the unrighteous judge. Now, God has a lot to say about judges in the Bible. Go to Second Chronicles chapter 19. That's right after the Kings. Second, Second Chronicles chapter 19. Verse 7. Now, then, by the way, we were talking about Jehoshaphat last week, so this probably would sound familiar in a way, but he says uh, in verse 7, verse 6, he said to the judges, Consider what you are doing, for you do not judge the man for man, but for the Lord who is with you. When you render judgment, see, God is there, you judges. You, you're not doing this on your own. You're not doing it for yourself. You're doing it for the Lord. Okay, verse 7. Now, then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. There it is again. Fear. Respect for this great God. Be very careful what you do, for the Lord your God will have no part in unrighteousness or partiality, or the taking of a, of a bribe. All oh, those guys didn't do that in the Old Testament, did they? Matter of fact, that's basically all they ever did. They would use the people, abuse them, whatever it was, take bribes. It was about money. It was about self. They didn't care for God. They didn't care for man. Now, verse 8, In Jerusalem also Jehoshaphat appointed some Levites and priests and some of the heads of the fathers, households of Israel, for the judgment of the Lord and to judge disputes among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Then he charged them, saying, Thus you shall do in the fear of the Lord, do you see that again? Faithfully and wholeheartedly, you judge faithfully and wholeheartedly. As you go to work, church, or do whatever you do around the house. Maybe as mundane as can be. He says, do your work heartily as unto the Lord. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. You're doing it for Him. When you take care of your house, when you clean it up, when you do just little things, you're representing the kingdom of God. You're representing who God is. You do it unto the Lord. Your boss really is God. So even if your boss treats you badly, remember what your work is about. It's about God. So, the judges, needlessly to be said, uh, did not really honor God as a whole, and they were very dishonest. They were corrupt. They were unjust as a whole. That's not to say all of them are that way. Today, I'm sure there are maybe a few judges that could be unjust and corrupt and dishonest. A lot of money going underneath the table. Who knows what all is going on, but I can tell you it's wicked. It's evil. It's unjust. Look at chapter 5 of Amos. The book of Amos. Chapter 5, 
verse uh, 11. Therefore, because you impose heavy rent on the poor and exact tribute of grain from them, though you have built houses of well-hewn stone, you will not live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, yet you will not drink their wine. I'm going to bring judgment upon you. For I know your transgressions are many and your sins are great. You who distress the righteous and accept bribes people in leadership in Israel, and turn aside the poor in the gate. Therefore, at such a time, the prudent person keeps silent, for it is an evil time. What's an evil time that we're in? People taking advantage of others. Okay. So that's what's going on in the Old Testament. When Christ arrives on the scene, I'm sure it has changed by now. It's still going the same. That's because man is sinful. He's depraved. There's two characters in the parable. Real easy, right? The unjust judge. The widow. Those are the characters. This judge cares about no one. He doesn't care anything about anybody but himself. That is really what the nature of man is about. Now what Jesus does is just blows this up even more. I mean, He he amplifies this. This guy here is a scoundrel, folks. He is wicked. He is evil. He is horrible. And when he thinks about this pesky woman who keeps at him, he admits in his own mind that he does not fear God and he does not fear man. Now, in our our chapter 18, there's this judge in verse 2. He did not fear God. He did not respect man. He knew that he didn't. And that was okay. He was good with that. But he wants to get rid of her. She means nothing to him. What can she give him? How can she bribe him? He knows he can't get a cent. He can't get anything out of her. She's destitute. She's poor. She keeps annoying him. By the way, it says in verse 3, there was a widow in that city, and we'll come to her in a moment, but she kept coming to him saying, give me legal legal, uh, protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, Yet, because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. It's a non-stop nagging she's doing. Actually, in the literal meaning of it, he felt beat up, felt like he had a black eye. She hit him. Well, did worse than hitting it physically. He felt emotionally beat up, nagged at so much. The word there is hupopiazo, and it's a boxing term. Are you catching it? It means to strike someone with a full blow in the eye. It would give you a black eye. So that's what he's saying here, using that 
particular phrase there. She's beating me up. It means to blacken the face. It means she's giving me a black eye. That's what she's doing. She's wearing me out. He's sick of it. Now, you'll notice that, and he tells on himself, and it says in verse 2, where Jesus says he was one who did not fear God, did not respect man. Okay, the Ten Commandments, you can narrow them down really to two. Love God, love your neighbor. If you do that, you're plugging right along. That's the way it's supposed to be. Love God, love your neighbor. No matter what, love God, love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. This guy says, I don't care about the commandments. I don't love God. I don't fear Him. I don't love my neighbor. I don't love mankind. And I'm okay with that. This is what I like. Me. Nobody else. I don't care. I could care less about anybody else. Have you ever met anybody like that? I bet you have. Well, this man is horrible. It's all about himself. It's no one else. He's wicked. He's evil. He is very sinful. He is horrible in a tremendously responsible office. How did he ever get elected to this office? That's what I wonder sometimes. (laughs) To uphold justice. And that's not what he's about. It's not about God. He didn't respect man. The word for respect there is entrepomy. Means he had no shame about it. The way that he would treat people, there's no shame. You know, we've kind of lost that word today. Shame. Shame on you. Well, I remember as a kid, whenever my mom said that, oh, I'm in for it now. And that was, you know, it's pretty rare when she'd say, but she meant it. There were other times I'd get in trouble, but it wasn't a shameful thing, but shame on you, Dennis. Shame. And I would feel guilty. I would feel shamed. Whatever was brought before me, what I did, this man knew exactly what he did, and he wasn't remorseful at all. You ever met those? You know, we live in a time, and I I think this time has always been throughout man's history, and I think it's not uncommon at all. But there are some shameful acts that go on in our times that I never even heard of whenever I was a kid. I know they probably went on, but, you know, take a 15-year-old just going out in the street and just shooting people. Like up in Chicago, how about Jeff City? Teenagers taking guns and killing other kids. Killing adults. It's no big deal. They don't feel a bit of shame. People that shoot at people. I think of Avell and his brother that got shot back, uh, was it a year and a half, two years ago or something like that. Got shot in the knee, didn't he? From somebody, they don't know. You know, it probably was from some younger Kids that did it. Teens or 20s. And you know what? You would think they would be shaking in their boots. They don't care. Taking the life of an unborn child. There's no shame. 
people can know exactly what's happening there. The ones who are committing that act. And it just means more money for them, right? It goes on and on. There is no shame in our society today. I think it's getting more and more like that. People do not value life. Life is at the most highest premium in this world and nobody really cares. We do, don't we? This man didn't respect man. He wasn't shameful whenever he knew that there were like widows who were getting taken advantage of and they had nothing. And the only thing that they had was taken from them. And they knew it and they didn't do a thing about it. So, there's the first character. Do you see that Jesus is taking this over the top? He's stretching it out. This man is evil, wicked, horrible. Uh, what's some really other bad words? Depraved. Just, you know, horrible. Deplorable. That's what this man is. And that's what Jesus is really trying to portray here. You got that picture now? He's not a good guy at all. This guy is. He might as well be in a, a, a gangster in a, in a gang. Only he's doing it in a legal way. Yeah, just like the mafia. Fearful thing, you know. And now we get to the widow. She's a needy widow. And of course, in that society, almost all widows were very, very vulnerable. They were very needy. There were not many vocational opportunities for them where they could get paid. Life insurance was non-existent there, Bob. I don't think they had life insurance at that time. She was dependent on whatever her husband left her. That's it. Men died early back in those days. We know that Joseph was not around whenever Jesus was like 30. Joseph was probably no more than 50 or probably less. At that time, before that, who knows? But anyway, this is where she's at. She has nothing. Whatever she had was taken from her. She was taken advantage of. Maybe it was her home. Maybe it was the few dollars that she had to get through with the rest of her life. Food. Who knows what. Whatever it was, she took this so serious that she went to the judge and the judge says, get out of here. I don't care about you. I could care less. Get away. And he's probably thinking, it's the end of that. Get out of here. That lady's gone. No. In the uh, way that it's said here, the widow bothers him. She kept doing it. She kept coming to him saying probably were times when she went to his house and waited out there for him to go to work, to go to court and judge. And she'd keep at it. Maybe at night on his way back home she would stop in front of him and (coughs) Ask for justice. You're the judge. You need to bring justice here. This is your job. She did that for quite a period of time. She just kept it. She never gave up. 
She would be outside the courthouse waiting for Him. Saying the same thing. I need justice. You know what happened. And He got tired of it so much that He said, oh, okay, that's enough. That's enough. I can't take it anymore. He can't get rid of it, can He? She went full force. This nagging woman did. And finally, after who knows, weeks and weeks, even though I don't fear God and I don't respect mankind, that's my personality, that's my character, I'm going to grant to her her request. Just get her off my back. That's where he's at. Why is Jesus doing this? Why is he talking about this this way? Is he comparing him to God being judge? We'll try to get to that in a moment. She's been defrauded. She was destitute. She's powerless. There was no man in her life. Her husband is dead. There's no father. There's no son. No father-in-law. No sons-in-law to help her in court. A woman needed help from a man to be able to approach the court, to be able to make an effect. Did she have a chance in this court case as far as it's concerned? Now let's look at Deuteronomy. Let's look at the law. Deuteronomy 24 Verse 17 and 18. You shall not pervert the justice due an alien or an orphan, nor take a widow's garment in pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, that the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this thing. That is a law of how justice was to be practiced. These things I love. Justice. Mercy, right? Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. This is one of the reasons, folks, why Israel was judged so severely as they were. Isaiah 1, 16 and 17. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from my sight, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. Now, I take my lines and I go over to verse 23, the last two lines there. They do not defend the orphan, nor does the widow's plea come before them. Let's, let's go to verse 21. How the faithful city has become a harlot. She who was full of justice, righteousness once lodged in her. Your silver has become dross, your drink diluted with water, your rulers are rebels, and companions are thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and chases after rewards. They do not defend the orphan, nor does the widow plea. 
come before them. That is the way it was. And that to God is despicable. She was relentless. She was persistent. She was persevering. She knew that her life may have been at stake every time she went to the judge. He could have made her shut up in another different way. This is the story that Jesus gives here. He makes this up, but it was really how things kind of went. These characteristics of the widow kept her from giving up. Did she have any hope? No. There was no hope. She kept trying and trying, but she, as far as we're concerned, she just kept doing it, and that was her hope. She was relentless. She persevered. She persisted. That's Jesus says, see, even He finally gives her what she needs because of that. Now, He takes it to the extreme. Now, let's go back to our passage in Luke, and let's finish this up now. We're all set up for the punchline. Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Did you check that out? Okay, now he says, Nor will will not God bring about justice for His elect who cry to Him day and night and will His delay long over them? I tell you that He will bring about justice for them quickly. Now, the meaning of the parable is where we're at. This is our last point. This goes by rather quick here now. Justice for the elect. Did you see that passage? Justice for His elect in verse 7. We would be very much mistaken if we are taking the thought that Jesus was teaching that God is like this self-centered, callous, evil, wicked judge. That not be the case. Even though there is a comparison in the sense that they have judgments to be made and they have uh, wisdom to be used Jesus takes a humorous example in a way. It's almost humorous. You know how the nagging of the woman and he finally gives in, right? You know, we all like that. And he takes an argument from the lesser to the greater, to the absurd lengths, stretching as far as he can there with their, in their thinking. If this widow could get justice from such a man, a crusty, uncaring old judge as he is, Doesn't it follow that a loving, tender, compassionate, merciful, gracious God would give us what we need? Will He answer your prayer? Yeah. He sure will. For His own children. If that unjust, wicked, the most evil judge could ever do that to uh, this lady... Our God can certainly do this. You get the the comparison here? I've seen something like this before. So we close out on this. Take these principles home, folks. We need this. We need to hear this. Number one, so simple. This is basic theology 101. God cares for us. We know that. Do we know that? Why would you give up when you know that God cares for you? 
Well, God cares for us. Uh, in Psalm 103.13 it says, Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. There's that word fear. Because they have the right, true, reverential fear all before a great holy God. And those who do that, He has compassion on. And... Um, Think of Isaiah 49. Last few verses, or uh, last few words of that you will certainly remember. It says, The Lord has forsaken me. Zion has said in Psalm 103 13, The Lord has forsaken me, and the Lord has forgotten me. Have you ever said that? No. <laughs> okay, oh, hopefully not. <laughs> Getting into it, I like that. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Well, what's the answer to that? You know, well, no. Even these may forget, but I'll not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hand. This is good news, folks. This is gospel. He's inscribed you in the palms of His hands. He takes care of you. We have to remember that next time something goes against our way. Number two, God never delays answers because He doesn't care. He does delay the answers, but it isn't because He doesn't care. We may not understand the reasons why God will delay Almost always we never understand. And we can be in agony and we can know for certain that He never delays because He doesn't care. He's delaying, but it's because He does care. God knows the needs that we don't even bring to Him in prayer. He knows our needs and He gives it without us even asking. How much have your prayers been answered? Probably 99.999999%. Well, how about this one? against 10 billion other things? Providential God, folks. He's a great God. Does this God kind of go beyond our imagination? Don't get so upset when things aren't going the way that you think they ought to go. Number three, God's delays are always, get this, for our good. Always for our good. Say, He's delaying. Yeah, and it's great. I love it. I'm glad He's delaying for you because you want to know what? He is going to do a great job out of this and it's going to be good. Well, if you tell somebody it that way, man, you're heartless. But really, that's kind of the truth. (laughs) Matter of fact, it is the truth. They're always for good. God works all things together for good to those who love God and fear God and are called according to His purpose. The judge was unwilling. But that's never the reason with our Father in Heaven. He's always willing. He loves it when you come to Him. He loves it. What does Jesus mean when He says that justice will come speedily? He'll bring about justice for them quickly, it says here. Jesus hasn't returned. He hasn't rescued His disciples. They're still going through some things here. Remember, that's where the, all of this started. And it comes to us. 
But what was he saying to them at that time? We have to understand it from God's timetable. We had a change in our time today, didn't we? It's nice to get a little bit of extra sleep. Somehow, I don't know how that works out. We'll get an extra hour. But, uh, you know, time is really important to us, and we like to get things done. We like to get our prayer lives done, answered, and move on to the next thing. And we wait, and we wait, and we wait. With the Lord, a thousand years are like a what? Like a day or a watch in the night. Second Peter three eight. He told Noah that there would be a flood. Did it happen? Yeah. A hundred and twenty years later. Have you ever waited for hundred and twenty years? No. Okay. He told Abraham, he promised Abraham that he'd give him a son. Well, we know he did. We look back on it, but imagine he's saying, I thought, I need to help out the Lord here. I need to get another woman. And he watched Sarah go through menopause. 25 years elapsed before they had Isaac. His delays are always good. Even if we don't understand the reasons why. And most of the time, we don't understand any of the reasons why he's delaying. Second Peter 3.9, if you're praying for somebody, you'll understand this. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That's a loving God. But He has His chosen before the foundation of the world. And He will make certain and sure that they are born and that they live and then He saves them. He has the elect. He still has people out there that are elect that are not saved yet. We don't know all those things. We can't see in the future. We don't know who the elect are. But that's what He's doing. That's why He hasn't come back yet. There are still people to be saved. So, get a proper view of God. And that's really where this context is. It's all about Him coming back. He said, I'm tired of this life. I'm ready to move on. Hey, I'm coming with you. <laughs> come on. You know the way. You know. Let me tell you about the way. Uh, you know what? The elect cry out to God day and night. He chose you unconditionally, no matter how evil and wicked of a sinner that you were. It's His unmerited favor. You are one of His elect, it says there in Luke 17.22. Like this widow, we should cry out day and night, this time to the Father in heaven. You know, she had no attorney. She had no advocate. She had nobody to help her with her case, but we have the Holy Spirit, the intercessor to help us pray as we ought, and the Lord Jesus Himself interceding at the right hand of the Father on our behalf. She had no guarantee of getting what she needed, but we have the Lord's promise. We have the guarantee of whatever we ask in His name, He will do it. Right? In his authority, whatever Jesus would ask, 
We ask that, you know what, He's going to answer it. The widow persisted. Sometimes the Lord delays. There was a delay there in that little illustration. We don't see how needy we really are sometimes until He keeps us waiting for a little while longer. How will we find faith on earth, He says? He'll be looking for faith on the earth when He returns. The implication here is that there will be a scarce commodity of faith. The Greek here expects a negative answer. The world may scoff. They scoff at the church. God seemingly neglects His saints. People say, where is your God? He's not come back yet. In Second Peter, right? Surely we ought to cling to Him in faith. Keep on asking till we receive what we need from God. He cares for us. He grants our request. A lot of times He makes us shift and turn the prayer more geared towards Him rather than me. He knows we're needy. We need to receive an answer. So keep on praying. Don't lose heart. He'll bring about justice for you speedily by His timetable. Not ours. He will answer. Let's pray. Father, what a great God You are. You do care. And You put the prayers even into our minds. We pray for things that are biblical and that are right and true. Sometimes we don't see that practiced around us and all over this world. But Lord, give us an eternal perspective. Thinking on the heavens rather than just on the things of the earth. They grow strangely dim as we look into Your glorious face. Your people. In Jesus' name, Amen.